This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. By the book on BFM 89.9. Hello, you're listening to By the Book. I'm Sharmila Ganesan and with me as always my fellow traveler into the world of literature, Lee Chui Lin. Hello. Uh, today we're doing something a little bit different. We're speaking to the curator of an upcoming exhibition that celebrates Asian-Canadian literature. It's called Trans-Pacific, an Asian-Canadian literary journey. It starts on the 17th of May. And joining us all the way from Vancouver uh, via Zoom, Vincent Ternida, who is uh, the curator of the exhibition and author himself. Vincent, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So let's start with the Trans-Pacific itself. How did it come together? William Pham is our uh, project manager, and he gathered myself and my publisher, Jeannie Fong Garrard, to a project where we will be using uh, the Asian-Canadian standpoint and we'll be going to uh, the High Commission of Canada to present um, the basically like the contributions of Asian Canadians to Canadian literature as a whole. So yeah, we had a lot of ideas, but we narrowed it down to four. And these four four major posters um, stretching from the long 60s, uh, telling us about like the origins of Asian Canadian literature, as well as emerging and established writers. And then finally, uh, my contribution, uh, diasporic writing and how um, it was kind of separate, separated from the other three essays. I tried to provide a more reflective personal essay, um, how my work and the work of three other established writers, uh, most notably Subanka Thamagavangsa, um, to to have that, to have uh, to have that uh, state of diasporic writing, and also I focused it a lot on the short story. How um, a lot of Asian Canadian writers, especially now, um, besides novels, uh, short stories, and collections of short stories and interconnected short stories, really make up the body of work, especially emerging writers and also where uh, established writers have come together. So um, we're going to talk a bit more about the exhibition and also about the Canadian Asian literary community. But before that, though, I mean, I wanted to take it a bit broader because some countries are associated with very, very distinct national literary identities. I'm thinking of, um, you know, India and its post-colonial writers, Japan, postmodernism, Russia, and we thought despair, actually, but existentialism <laughs> maybe is a, is a fairer term. Um, so broadly, what is Canadian literature's identity? Yeah, but I really thought about that like for the last week. Uh, what is Canadian literature, or how we could, locals call it here, can lit? Um, that is, uh, if there's a literature that really defines a place, that would be Canadian literature. Historically, it's defined as the chronicles of Canadian settlers who have endured the challenging terrain of the true north seen in classics such as Anne of the Green Gables. As it progressed, especially with our relationships to the south, you know, the country you may have heard, uh, the U.S., <laughs> we've um, come across with more themes of uh, rebellion and activism seen in more popular uh, uh, fiction, such as uh, Margaret Atwood's works. And also another characteristic of uh, Canadians is our offbeat humor seen uh, with Ryan Reynolds, especially Seth Rogen and classically <laughs> Jim Carrey and Mike Myers. So we, we incorporate that into our literature, but, off-brand, it's a little bit darker, <laughs> and it has that offbeat uh, 
poetic into it, a poetic dark, darkly humor scene in Leonard Cohen's poetry, for example. It's re, it's it's kind of funny, but also pretty dark. And Mordecai Rickler's works too. They're a little cynical, but uh, he takes it back and um, yeah, kind of off brand in a certain sense. It's actually quite amazing when you mention those names, how how rarely we associate so many writers with Canada when in fact they are Canadian or artists in that sense. Um, considering that this is an exhibition of celebra- exhibition celebrating literary works, what can visitors actually expect when they attend? Well, uh, one thing is um, an introduction to Asian Canadian literature. Uh, Canadian literature itself is already obscure uh, outside of Canada, but also if uh, we take it more on the Asian Canadian sense, it gets even more obscure. So uh, what we want to um, have visitors see is that education of uh, what Asian Canadian literature is compared to, for example, like it's always usually compared to the Asian American literature. They're quite similar, but the difference is um, if it's Canadian, definitely it goes with the place. So if we just take one of the more popular ones, Subankam Thamavongsa, our current uh, Giller Prize winner, like the three things that I mentioned, a sense of place, it's um, her her work, How to Pronounce Knife, really focuses on uh, how the Canadian experience of these Lao immigrants being first, second, or third generation, and how they've overcome that. And then also that sense of rebellion and activism. Uh, she subverts like the stereotypes that many, many, many people would think about certain uh, immigrants in Canada or the U.S. And finally, um, I consider a lot of her works really offbeat and some sometimes even darkly funny because um, I really feel that a lot of her characters have more lived experience than me. Even if you know you've read like a five-page work, and I go, there's so much like flavor bombs. I would say <laughs> I would call it uh, like it's so distilled and so compressed, and like the emotions attached to it. I tackle her work quite a bit in my essay. Like I believe it's a, it's more to the last part of it and um, taking a more universal feel, a a barometer of the immigrant experiences, I would say. So given that it's an exhibition, um, what will we actually see? How is all this going to be visualized? Okay, yeah. So uh, these ones are... um, so we collaborated with an artist, uh, the four of us. I myself collaborated with a Malaysian artist, uh, Huichi, I hope I said it right. And she's created this poster that captured that darkly theme um, as well as containing some of the text that I've written. So uh, you have four posters, two for William's case and one for um, Jeannie's case. And each one tackles like that particular order. Since mine tackles diasporic writing, uh, William tackles the, the origins and also uh, um, focusing on more emerging writers as well as in Jeannie's case, as the established writers, uh, writers such as Joy Kogawa, for example. Like, uh, yeah, everything is shown into like an image we focus on. We all um, chose like one image and the writing that's surrounding it. So if um, more of the visitors would want to take a look at the works, uh, the essays are available. But in a visual sense, those four posters um, take that image in mind and uh, salient parts of our essays. 
I wanted to ask this question. I mean, do you feel any pressure representing the Canadian Asian literary community, especially since the role of the curator, right, holds a very specific lens and to a certain degree power because you're determining what it is that people are going to experience? Yeah, that's uh, the thing that I um, was preparing myself for this interview all day. And I was going like, um, am I the right person to talk about, to represent? Yeah, then the one thing that I could say is like, I'm really humbled by this experience because I did also appear uh, a year ago, two years ago, talking about the diasporic experience from an Asian Canadian perspective. And it's me. <laughs> um, I was like, there's so many other authors to to choose and talk from. But then, you know, like we all have, we all are based in our, um, uh, our networks and William and I work really closely with a lot of Asian Canadian writers and being, I was before the pandemic, I was very active in the community and just, um, reading as many works as I can. I consider myself more a student of it, um, especially discovering it much later in my life, starting as a, a literary writer. So uh, in a way, um, like I am at that in-between crossroads where, you know, I'm an emerging writer, but at the same time surrounded by a lot of established writers. I'm in that um, strange in-between where I could say, yep, like um, I could s- see how many, like a, uh, how many I could represent. But then truthfully, I could say like, I represent a lot more of the emerging writers. So, you know, like I could be that every man as well as looking up to the more established writers that are out there. We're speaking with Vincent Ternida, who is an author as well as the curator of the Trans-Pacific and Asian-Canadian Literary Journey exhibition. Uh, that's by the uh, Canadian High Commission. It's launching on the 17th of May. We'll continue our conversation after this. But let us know, are you a fan of uh, discovering books from countries that perhaps you haven't read very much about. You can WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio, write to us at buythebook at bfm.my. Be firmly motivated. BFM 89.9. Welcome back. You're listening to Buy the Book with Sharmila and Lynn. And today we're joined by Vincent Ternida. Uh, he's an author. He's also the curator of an exhibition called Trans-Pacific, an Asian-Canadian Literary Journey uh, that opens on the 17th of May. And really celebrates Asian-Canadian literature. Uh, Vincent, just to pick up on our conversation from before, um, now we talk about this a lot on the show, that for many of us as readers, our introduction to books usually comes in the form of the classics or the literary greats, right? And that tends to be quite Western in nature. When did you start consciously reading Asian literature or literature from cultures that weren't necessarily Western? Very recently, because <laughs> I am, um, before I started all the literary writing, uh, I was uh, attempting to break in as a screenwriter. So I actually watched a lot of movies. And also, this, like, uh, it, there's a parallel there where I watched a lot of Western movies, a lot of, um, you know, uh, Nouveau Vague uh, from, fa- from France, like, for example. But then, like, later on, you start going, what about, like, my heritage? Like, how, how much um, of my Filipino heritage can I retain? How much of the Asian-Canadian or Asian heritage that I can um, uh, impart with film? So when I um, sidestep towards the world of uh, literary writing, that's where I met William, one of the curators. Uh, He started recommending to me a lot of books and especially diasporic writing since my writing has like uh, stepped into the boundaries of diaspora writing. I think around 2018, I read extensively um, 
the diasporic writing and also meeting with the writers you know like they say never meet your heroes but it's it's great to meet up with them and just talk to them about uh their their experiences in writing uh though in my essay i've only met like um i'm friends with one and i've met Catherine hernandez uh back in 2018 yeah um to, to talk about their work so yeah like uh it's um canada's literary world is quite small especially if uh you're into the asian diasporic writers so um we will eventually meet each other <laughs> and i consider that fortunate because um not you know like uh, at a certain point in my life i was going how many authors do i know and then suddenly by 2018 like uh, every other person that i know was an author <laughs> so yeah it's 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 a great way to connect uh, as writers and it's it's a pretty unique experience if you like uh, if you think about it, um, being surrounded by the authors at the same time reading their work and knowing them personally. You mentioned diaspora. Um, how has your work been shaped by your experiences as a Canadian Asian or Canadian Filipino person? A lot. <laughs> well, my um, they say write what you know, and then that's what I think uh, caused my detriment uh, trying to break into screenwriting my works have been deemed personal, uh, which really worked out in the literary sense of the word. At a certain point, the, the the works that I have and the ones that are being picked up are my experiences as an immigrant. And as uh, I th- I'm 15 years in Canada at this point, um, you know, how I came in as a third culture kid growing up in the Philippines and in Indonesia. Uh, a lot of people want to hear about those experiences and then how that relates being in an in-between state uh, when I came in in Canada as an immigrant, having that third culture kid um, uh, experience and then translating it into my um, my own personal experiences, um, that Canadian experience, as they call it. Um, I talk about it a lot in my essay, how um, certain experiences I had in the East Coast when I was alone, I didn't have any support. And also my experiences when I'm in the West Coast, when I'm around my family, and I also have that community. Uh, and then in the end, distilling it into a piece of work, either poetry or my novella, which holds quite a lot, quite inspired by a lot of my um, immigrant experiences. So largely speaking, diasporic literature tends to be better known for works coming out of either the US or the UK. What are some distinctive features or conversations that are present in Canadian Asian literature? It's quite the same. But one thing that I find with a lot of Asian Canadian writing is that it's a lot more personal. Uh, it feels like a personal narrative where uh, sometimes um, if I'm not careful, I could tell a person, oh, is that your autobiography? Which is kind of a, like, I would say it's a misnomer more than anything. There are a lot of authors that write memoirs, but also a lot of authors that write um, fiction. And the line is, it can be blurred at certain points, especially with my work. So like uh, when, with my novella, I, I do tell people that it's 60% true <laughs> so it, it does like uh it is you know it it's not it's not carl of nesgard where i make up half of it but they are inspired by a lot of true events um while others you know like um 
that's where it kind of blurs when especially when I know the author and then I go okay that experience I kind of know where that's coming from so it's almost as if um like it might have like uh I know a person like a friend of mine um Kavika Guillermo he writes a lot of speculative fiction and I find that like a you know, taking yourself outside of that diasporic feel, but also having that diasporic flavor would, um, you know, it, it just makes people feel that it's more fiction because of its speculative nature. But once it starts to become more drawn towards a diasporic fiction, there is that uh, re-education that I have to, um, especially speaking about this, that it's not all memoir. So what place does Canadian-Asian literature hold within the larger, um, I suppose, cultural can-lit scene? Um, you know, how receptive are readers to the works? Like, especially now with uh, more authors getting more recognition, such as Suvankam with the Giller Prize and with Catherine Hernandez having uh, a TV show from her scar- like uh, from her work Scarborough being out, uh, having a more mainstream appeal. I find that now, like, uh, more people want more diversity in their literature, more diversity in their art. So Asian Canadian literature really holds a place up there. Uh, at least there are more spaces now uh, opening up for a lot of Canadian Asian literature. And um, if you don't mind me having a spiel, I do have the short story coming out soon. And I'm sharing that space with 41 other Filipino Canadian authors. Like it's it's a large amount. And like, I am so honored to be part of them, both established and uh, emerging writers uh, coming next year, 2023 from Cormorant Books. Uh, the title is Magdaragat. So it really establishes that Uh, diasporic uh, nature and also that uh, Asian like having a place in that Asian Canadian scene whereas right now most of the diasporic Filipino writing is um, Asian American Filipino American so if someone is new to the candlelit scene what's a good starting point who are some of your favorite Canadian Asian writers that maybe you'd like to recommend sure first of all like uh, if you really want to go with a canon and a lot of the Asian Canadian writers that I know is either West Coast or Toronto based. A lot of them are coming from coming from Vancouver. I would say Ajoy Kogawa. Uh, she 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 wrote a lot about the internment um, from like the, the Japanese internment uh, in North America, like the, that topic as well. Uh, Weishin Choi, like he's one of the pioneers. Evelyn Lau and her depiction of like the urban side of the Vancouver during the 80s as a young homeless woman. Getting more modern, it, the shift goes towards Toronto. Catherine Hernandez, especially with Scarborough. Carrie Ann Leung. Also, more recently, if I'm going to go with the whole short story, uh, Derek Mascarenas with uh, Coconut Dreams, tackling the Indian diaspora. Also, especially Suvankam Thamavansa. It's it's a seminal work. Um, really, like It really shows her poetry, like uh, how to pronounce knife in a prose form. It's It's a joy to read. So, uh, to close off and to tie it back to the exhibition, which we started with, uh, what are some of the highlights that you'd like to just discuss or, you know, tell people about as to why they should attend the exhibition Trans-Pacific? Definitely. Uh, So, if uh, you... It's mostly um, I invite the curious. Um, I invite um, an open mind and an understanding. If uh, you're looking for something to read, something more like a, you know, 
something closer to the the, the Asian heart, especially um, if you're you're interested in the whole diasporic uh, writing from something more obscure, something away from the UK, something away from the Americas. Try the Asian Canadian flavor. <laughs> Vincent, thanks for speaking with us today. Thank you for having me. We've been speaking with Vincent Ternida, author of a novella called The Seven Muses of Harry Salcedo. He's also the curator of an upcoming exhibition called Trans-Pacific, an Asian-Canadian literary journey that celebrates Asian-Canadian literature. That's launching on the 17th of May. It's being organised by the Canadian High Commission. For more information, you can follow their social media pages at Canada Malaysia. And let us know, are you a fan of discovering literature from countries that you haven't read before? You can WhatsApp 018-789-W. Tweet us at BFM Radio, write to us at buythebook at bfm.my. brings us to footnotes and because earlier we were talking about a literary exhibition which I must say is such a such a lovely idea we thought we'd close off the conversation by discussing ways to discover new authors um, how we well rather non-traditional ways to discover new authors because other than book reviews and interviews and so on I think people stumble across authors in some I think pretty offbeat ways yeah we spoke about this actually as one of our resolutions in the sense that we wanted to head back to the bookstore <laughs> and, you know, and browse and look at names and figure out whether we actually want to read, um, you know, specific books for whatever reason. But I think that uh, it is important to talk about the other ways, right? Like you said, that we can discover things. And I honestly think that something like this exhibition sounds delightful. I mean, I plan to go, but I also think something like this where you present and contextualize authors or works from another place that you may not be so familiar with, but offer kind of an interesting perspective as to why you should be keen or why you should be a little bit intrigued. I think that there's really something quite lovely about that. And it doesn't have to be an exhibition, but I love the idea of an exhibition, perhaps because I'm trying to think of the last time that I discovered an author through an exhibition, and I'm not sure that there is one. No, I'm thinking the closest I've probably come to is... um I've attended exhibitions in libraries. Like, for instance, one time when I was in the States, one of the libraries had a uh, history of the science fiction novel. Um, and that kind of led me to a couple of titles that I hadn't thought of. But yeah, you're right. It's it's rare to have this kind of an approach to recommending books. And I do think it's quite cool. I do think, though, that we have a lot of ways these days, particularly with the internet, of stumbling across new titles. Because for me personally, I pick up a lot of ideas and recommendations uh, from Instagram and even mm. Reels, right? where people uh, post, or TikTok, I suppose, uh, where people post what they're reading or particular genre-related things. And I find those actually great resources to uh, lead me in a particular direction that perhaps I may not have thought of. Yeah, uh, I think that the thing about social media is that the premise is that you follow people that you already find interesting or that you, whose tastes already align with yours or that you find... Um, I hate using the word influencer, but you know what I mean, you know, um, you already... Or the algorithm understands you. Yeah, is what it comes down to. I really enjoy it when people have book highlights, you know, um, when, when they actually leave a little highlight reel of their book recommendations that I can go back and pop into before I'm heading out to the shop or before I'm planning to uh, look online for books. Uh, I... 
I, like you, I presume, have a camera roll that is littered with a number of screenshots <laughs> yes. of, of books that I plan to get. So I agree that social media definitely is the thing. Do you, um, do you have a specific style of recommendation that really works for you on social media where somebody... Is there a way in which people introduce books to you on social media that really works for you? I'm going to sound very shallow. Um, I Book love, covers. Yes, yes. <laughs> unfortunately, I mean, I literally mentioned this when we recently reviewed Sulintan's book, right? I love it when people put up book covers. Uh, it, I don't know. There's just something about a beautiful cover that draws me in. Um, of course, later when I read the description, I may or may not end up thinking it's for me. But I think 100%, um, particularly things like Instagram are very visual mediums. Um, the book cover for me is, is a huge thing. Mm. Uh, for me, it's the... Uh, yeah, the book cover to a degree, but it's usually also, I like it when people put little blurbs or uh, little descriptions of why it is that they found this book so intriguing, whether it was because it was moving, whether it was because uh, they couldn't put it down. And I think a lot of that has to do with the emotional reasons why not even why we might buy a book, but why it is that you might pick up a book. Because I think many of us have that experience of having purchased a book a while ago because it looked interesting and then it just languishes in the stack for ages and you never pick it up until someday perhaps you hear somebody say that one is a fast read or an intriguing read or whatever and it happens to hit that exact mood that you're looking for that particular day. And um, yeah, so, so that works for me. But I was thinking in that same vein of discovery and discovery in ways that aren't typical, anthologies are such a great introduction to different writers. And I think it's because you have a variety of people laid out back to back. It's usually quite curated, which means that you have writers that have already been picked, uh, writers that have already are fitting a certain theme, whatever it is the anthology may be. And there have actually been loads of authors that I first encountered through an essay or a short story and then went off and bought an entire book. Anthologies are just a blessing, both for people with short attention spans yes. and for people who I think don't quite know whether they want to commit to reading a particular author's entire, like a long novel, essentially. And books are not cheap either, right? So um, anthologies are such a, good, um, such a good way of, I think, getting a taster. I particularly like it when um, given that we were talking about diasporic literature earlier and with the caveat that it's impossible to represent an entire culture or country with one anthology. I do, however, like when there are things like um, country-focused country focused anthologies or perhaps sci-fi from Southeast Asia or steampunk from the Middle East, you know, uh, because those give me, I think, a sense of genres that I may already be interested in. And then writers from particular areas that are writing in those spaces, because I often you'll find it's very difficult to access these writers otherwise, unless you're already in particular circles, like the Canlit circle, for instance. I believe I mentioned this. Uh, one of my favourite authors who I discovered via an anthology was Camilla Shamsi, who I first read in a Granta anthology and just thought, who is this person? You know, the, the writing is so good. The perspectives and the stories that are being told about, well, that circle issues of faith and culture and terrorism and immigration was so intriguing that I went out and bought Home Fire. And uh, OK, I have not read her next book, but it's on my list. And I, I just um, remember that so clearly because I also know it's unlikely that I would otherwise have encountered or chosen to pick up Camilla Shamsi. So, yeah, I mean, I think the next time you find your 
yourself kind of casting about for a book to read, rethinking, my goodness, what show is this? Is this a, psycho- <laughs> is this a psychology show? But I think rethinking our patterns and the ways that we normally do things, whether it's um, asking our friends for recommendations, listening to our show, um, or going to, to bookstores, I think reconsidering what that could look like, whether it's heading out for an exhibition or uh, picking up an anthology or a magazine. Actually, magazines are fantastic. Um, Or literary journals. Yes, exactly. You know, things like that, just reconsidering where it is that we get our recommendations can really lead to a broadening of the circle of authors we read. Let us know, where do you get your book recommendations? Particularly, you know, some offbeat, non-traditional avenues that you may look for them. Uh, You can WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio, write to us at buythebook at bfm.my. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.